This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters here in Hackettstown, New Jersey. My co-host, Mike Mahalik, is not with us today, so joining me here in the Weather Lounge is our producer and occasional co-host of the podcast, meteorologist Mike Priante. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Brad. Yeah, no, Mike is actually really busy right now. And of course, if you've listened to our previous episode, we uh, we talked all about the uh, the the preview of winter 2023 2024 and of course Mike is uh, part of that team that helps get the uh, the previews out to our clients so he's still pretty busy out there so of course you know who they call to come in of course me so <laughs> oh here we are yeah mid mid September and uh, you know and and you know we've already got our sights set on the upcoming winter and uh, as we get closer we'll have a few more uh, updates to our winter outlook and um, you know, always uh, fun times here at Weatherworks. That's for sure. We never stop thinking about winter. <laughs> no, we're, we always have winter on the brain, even if it's uh, 95 degrees in the middle of July. Yeah. We're always yeah. like, oh, what's the winter going to be like? Or, you know, when's that big snowstorm going to be? Well, at least uh, maybe not all of us here at Weatherworks, but a couple of people uh, <laughs> may be thinking about. Yeah, we got a few that hot. like winter a little bit more than others for sure. But, um, you know, Mike, in past podcasts, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, the NAO, the EPO, the AO, um, and basically it's like North Atlantic Oscillation, the Eastern Pacific Oscillation, the Arctic Oscillation, and these are different things of how the weather's influenced uh, by certain patterns. Uh, and of course, we look at it in all seasons, but the winter, of course, is where the teleconnections uh, network of weather really works. Right. I almost like to think of it as like an alphabet soup, if you think about it. There's so many letters and so many different oscillations that we have, and I know it's pretty confusing for just the you know normal person out there that has no idea what the atmosphere is actually producing but you hear NAO EPO you know all, all these letters but you think well how do they actually play uh, you know a role into our forecasts and realistically you know they actually are fairly important because long range forecasting as you know is uh, is not not clear cut there's it's always all tied of- into it Right. There's always lots of things that are changing in the atmosphere. And of course, we look at these signals to kind of give us an idea, really, of kind of what the, the pattern looks like down the road. Yeah. And, uh, and, and joining us today in the Weather Lounge uh, to discuss uh, all this fun stuff with the teleconnections is fellow meteorologist Kyle Leahy. He is also part of the uh, Long Range Forecast team. He's been on before and he'll be, with, he'll be on with us again in a few weeks when we do release that final winter preview. So uh, Kyle, uh, welcome back to the Weather Lounge and thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me here. It's always nice uh, talking, uh, talking about the weather with you guys. Before we go into detail with Kyle, I think it's probably a good idea to take a short break, Brad. And then when we come back, we're going to dive right into this alphabet soup of, uh, of oscillations. So uh, stick around and we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Mike Prianti from the Weather Lounge here. And let me tell you, dehydration is no joke. I went through it myself once and it's not fun. You get headaches, muscle spasms, cramps, the whole nine yards. But proper functional hydration is essential for just about everyone. Sometimes, though, water may not be enough. And that's where Liquid IV comes in. They're the number one powdered hydration brand in America. And their hydration multiplier is something you're most likely missing in your daily routine. 
You don't even have to be a sports professional to enjoy it either. With just one stick, you can hydrate twice as fast than using water alone. It has three times the amount of electrolytes than leading sports drinks. It's made from non-GMO ingredients, and it's chock full of essential vitamins. I personally enjoy the passion fruit flavor, but there are other great refreshing flavors you can choose from as well. So whether you're out landscaping, plowing a parking lot in a snowstorm, heading out for that afternoon jog, or even just feeling run down, Liquid IV is your go-to source for all hydration and wellness. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEATHERLOUNGE, capital W, capital L, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WEATHERLOUNGE at liquidiv.com. And welcome back to the Weather Lounge, everyone. Thanks for joining us here. Uh, good podcast topic once again. Uh, talk about oscillations and a lot of folks, and we're not talking about fans. It's uh, it's something that uh, is very uh, important, not only the long-range forecasting, but uh, also to how all the patterns kind of fit together, not only in the Northern Hemisphere, but the Southern Hemisphere. And they kind of coexist uh, and kind of feed off of each other. So, uh, we got Kyle Leahy with us, and uh, he's part of the uh, long-range forecast team here at WeatherWorks. So, Kyle, let's uh, let, let's talk about the most popular mentioned oscillation, and that's the NAO or the North Atlantic Oscillation. And I mean, of course, it's very important in the winter, but it's also around in the summer, and it does uh, you know lend to a lot of patterns, whether it's a hot, humid pattern or it's a cold and snowy pattern. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, with a lot of these teleconnections, as you guys were saying, they are a lot more important in the winter. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty much the North Atlantic oscillation is more or less just higher pressure over Greenland. Um, and that leads to a lot more low pressure near like Nova Scotia and Southeastern Canada and like the Western Atlantic Ocean. So generally it just leads to conditions that are a bit bit colder or I guess cooler in the summer. And really the biggest part of it is that it just allows for larger storms to form, regardless of how warm or cold it is really. Right. And you know, one thing that I've, I've always heard about, you know, when everyone's talking about, oh, the NAO is going to be negative, it's going to be positive. And you know, it's like, I understand that there's only one thing that we're looking at here, but on the bigger scale, it's not just the NAO. And we're going to be talking about all these other oscillations too that have a have a role into this. But it's it's funny how people see, oh, it's going to be a negative NAO. We're, we're, we're primed to get a storm. But that doesn't always happen, right? No. Um, there are a lot of really tiny nuances, like especially with storms. Um, there are a lot of really small nuances that are kind of, that can kind of make or break a storm which is pretty much what happened last winter, as we'll get into. Like, there were periods where we did have a really strong negative NAO, but as most of us know, unless you're in, you know, northern New England, um, you didn't really see that much, and that's because of, you know, tiny little nuances and also other teleconnections that weren't favorable along with the NAO. So it's all kind of part of a bigger puzzle, really. It's not, like, you can't really look at one um, in a vacuum and just kind of come to a bigger conclusion. Right, and with the and when the NAO is negative, we also we also talk about blocking a lot, which you just kind of referred to. We have a big high in Greenland, so you know that kind of forces all the weather, if you will, to the south and into the United States. But then again, we had a negative NAO, like you said, at times last winter, but it just didn't cooperate with the rest of the teleconnections, did it? No, it 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 did not. Um, we'll get into like the um, PNA and stuff like that, and that. Uh, 
that did not help out at all. It pretty much it pretty much wasted um, some really good <laughs> blocking, which is uh, which is pretty unfortunate yeah, for all the snow lovers. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. So it does happen though. So yeah, what about? I mean- I was yeah. gonna say, I was gonna say, Mike. What what about the Arctic Oscillation? How does that differ from the North Atlantic Oscillation? So the Arctic Oscillation and the North Atlantic Oscillation are pretty well correlated. Like most of the time, when one's a negative, the other's negative, and you know when one's positive, the other one is. But the Arctic Oscillation is more important for getting cold air into the um, United States as a whole, like not just the Western and Eastern U.S. because it's pretty much a measure of how strong the polar vortex is. So if you want cold outbreaks into the U.S., you want the polar vortex to be weak. And a negative Arctic oscillation means that you have generally high pressure over the pole, right. which is indicative of a weaker than average polar vortex and, and vice versa. If you have a really positive Arctic oscillation, you're, it's probably just not going to be very wintry because a lot of the... like. Like the jet stream is tucked up north. It's it, it just makes it a lot more difficult. The old the old polar vortex, you know, when's it gonna yes. hit my backyard? Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you guys remember when the polar vortex was such a big thing back oh, in a, the the 2014? Yeah. A yeah. Big buzzword. Yeah. That with bombogenesis and you know all the all the fun words that the media and the social media like to use. But yeah, going back to that uh, that, that negative AO and um, you know, and another thing like you were just talking about, Kyle, is is when you have that negative AO, it's a very wavy jet stream where you can get that cold air away from the poles and down into the mid latitudes versus a, you know, positive AO usually means it's very tight around the North pole. And like you said, you know, South of there, there's not a lot of cold air available. It's more of a zonal milder flow of air, even around most of the globe at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, what about now? This just got me thinking, because Kyle, you said that the NAO and the AO are pretty, pretty similar, I guess, more correlated, but has there ever been times when the AO is more positive or negative than the nao yeah because like i know they're very similar but is that possible or are they, they fight very each other close? kyle <laughs> <laughs> in a boxing ring right like oh yeah. i want to be positive i want to be negative and they're fighting each other yeah yeah i mean i can't think of like any good examples off, off the top of my head because a lot of the time again like when there are really strong like blocking patterns a lot of the time that high pressure is going to push into the pole but yeah, no, there there definitely are times. Like if you if you were to look for it, you'd probably find a lot of examples of it. Um, but that usually happens when there isn't really too much of a pattern occurring at all. Like it's kind of like things are kind of changeable. So for example, if like um, there's kind of flatter flow near Greenland or near the Arctic, and there's a lot of high pressure and low pressure moving through, that's when you can get stuff like that. But whenever you have like a really strong winter pattern in place. Like, let's say you have the polar vortex over Greenland or you have a big high over Greenland. They're just going to be linked up more. But there but there definitely are times, though, like if you were to look for it, you'd probably see it a good like a good amount. OK, interesting. Well, I'm just curious. Let's flip the coin here now and talk about the Pacific, because now so far we've just talked about the North Atlantic, the Arctic Oscillation, which is more of a east based you know, uh, oscillation stuff that really uh, impacts here, of course, Northeast I-95. But the Pacific oscillations also have a big impact on the East Coast as well. So uh, let's 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 talk about let's dive into like the uh, the PNA first. <laughs> also, before we get into that, I'm just this is very just me being curious. Is there a reason why we call it the PNA and not like the PNAO? Like, because I notice it's like the Pacific North Atlantic, but like that's almost like cut off. Like what about the 
North Atlantic? Like, is it an oscillation? Is it like, like, is that just more of a naming convention? But I just was curious about that because she, the EPO has an O at the end and you yeah, know, we talk about true. the MJO has an O at the end, but PNA is kind of like all by itself. <laughs> I think it's the Pacific North American pattern. Uh, okay. Something like that. I, I don't know why. I have no idea why they named it that. That just, that just ruins the whole pattern for me. I don't yeah. know why that yeah. annoys me. <laughs> no, it, uh, yeah, no, it is odd. I, I, I could not tell you. Uh, <laughs> maybe they got sick of it. I'm not maybe. Sure. Um, but anyway, continue. But yeah. So in terms of the PNA, that like the best way to think about that is that a positive PNA is when you have higher pressure generally over like British Columbia and just west. So whenever you have like a big ridge over the west coast, like ninety five percent of the time that will be. Um, corresponded with a positive PNA and vice versa. So if you have a lot of low pressure diving down like into California and stuff like that, that is a negative PNA. And that is really, so um, I guess when we get into the other like Pacific oscillations and teleconnections, I like to think of it as the Pacific, at least for us in the East, um, kind of like, determines how much cold air you really have to work with. And then the Atlantic is more like, okay, well now this is the chance of us getting a bigger storm or not. So like how we were saying um, the Pacific or the PNA, I guess more specifically kind of ruin the blocking. The reason why I ruin the blocking is because um, you need to be blocking colder air. And we had a really, really negative PNA and so instead of getting Arctic air to block and kind of sit in the pattern, you had like air basically coming in off the Pacific. Right. A raging Pacific last yes. winter. <laughs> exactly. So it's like you have the blocking, but what use is a bigger storm if it's going to cut to the West or if there's not enough cold air? So that can happen and it does happen. Um, so blocking kind of isn't the end all be all when it comes to like a winter storm. Like you need other stuff to cooperate or, or at least not be a negative factor. Right. And I guess also to point out here, you know, we're focusing like better winters on the northeast uh, part of the, the country, the United States. But, you know, of course, if this cuts west, that's much more favorable for our Midwest, or I should say Northern Plain friends, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Like if you if you live in the Midwest or the, or, or the Plains, you actually want a negative PNA. Right. Because then you have larger systems diving into the West Coast. And then instead of strengthening off the East Coast, everything's kind of shifted to the West and you get strengthening storms that are occurring over like the Southern Plains and kind of like, instead of the storm track being off the East coast, it's kind of more like through the Ohio Valley or just West. Right. Which is kind of like what would be a nor'easter for us. It's now a nor'easter for like the Plains and Chicago even. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened last winter. Like Minnesota had a great winter last winter. We'll go through pretty much the, uh, you know, the, each teleconnection, like like we like Kyle mentioned, and like which what what combinations are the best at the end. But for now, I think we're just going to go right through each individual one. But of course, we're not leaving anyone out here. We're we're going to be talking all about uh, just kind of how each connection works with each other. So yeah, and that negative PNA, and that's what really resulted in that epic winter for the Sierra, and you know places out west where they just got like <laughs> I think one place got 800 inches of snow or something. I know, it's I mean, insane. A, yeah, I mean know. like the snow got over the roof. Now, granted, they have altitude, right? They, they they're up there in elevation, but you know, still, it's just you know the upslope and the just you know crazy amounts of snow around the Tahoe area, and 
And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, when the Pacific's wide open like that and all that moisture has got to go somewhere and it's forced upward into those, you know, 10,000 foot mountains. That's what happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, last year, I mean, pretty much with the three La Nina's that we had in a row, um, those generally like the big feature with those is a negative PNA. So that's when the West really cashes in. And same with like the Northern Plains, Midwest generally. Um, so we've talked about the PNA. I think it's, uh, I guess the PNA's brother is the EPO. Is that correct? Or is there, is there more like what, I guess, would the EPO be kind of like, like in cahoots with the PNA <laughs> while the NAO is in cahoots with the AO? Or is that kind of how it works or, or what exactly are we looking at? That's with a good EPO? way to put it, Mike. I like that. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I would say it's actually pretty similar. So they share a lot of the same space. So the PNA is more like Western North America, but the EPO is more, think of more like Alaska and northward. So um, the EPO, so a negative EPO is high pressure over Alaska generally, and a positive EPO is low pressure over Alaska. So that teleconnection is more indicative of like, what are the odds of you getting like an Arctic blast? into i mean those generally fall into the plains like the northern plains but they can fall anywhere they can fall to the eastern u.s or, or the west coast even but what happens is that if you have um a really negative epo then high pressure set up kind of north of alaska and that's when you're able to get get air really cold air from siberia into the u.s the cross polar flow right yes yep so a lot of the time so like the reason why um, the winter of like 2014, 2015 was so cold is because you had a really, you, you pretty much had like a massive uh, ridge of high pressure extending from like Southern California all the way up into the pole. And it's just a constant supply of cold air into the yes. Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Yep. yep, exactly. So a lot of the time they do share the same space. However, um, there are times though where you can't, and, and I think this is easier than the AONAO stuff. But there are times where you could have like, I don't know, uh, the polar vortex might be over Alaska. So you have like a really positive EPO, but you can still pop a little ridge over like the West Coast. So you could have like a positive EPO and positive PNA. You could have the other way around where you might have like a Rex block where you have like a really strong ridge over Alaska and then you have like a trough undercutting it. Um, So it's a bit easier to be changeable. But yeah, I, I would say like, Generally speaking, if you want snow in the eastern U.S., you generally want the Pacific to be more cooperative than the Atlantic um, because you can get winter. So like 2014, 2015, again, like the NAO was like super, super, super positive that winter. Like the polar vortex was basically over Greenland, more or less. But that didn't matter, really. I mean, that was a very snowy winter because it was so cold. But if you have it the other way around, where if you have like the polar vortex over like like Alaska, there's there's no way in hell it's going to be snowing. It's just not possible. Right. So the AO that year was that also super positive yes. as well. Yes. Yep. Interesting. So it's interesting when you mentioned that you know the NAO. Uh, it it might have well, it was probably less positive than the NAO was. I, I'm sure it was. Um, it probably wasn't because like if you think about it, like the ridge from the EPO probably also poked into the pole as well. Mm, I can definitely. tell you though, it definitely wasn't negative. It was right. definitely positive, but it wasn't as like ridiculously positive as the NAO was. Right. And what I was saying here is that, you know, it's crazy because we talked about NAO and AO and how like, you know, negative is kind of what you want to see. But in this case, in this type of winter, as I was mentioning, it's not always just one or two things. There's a ton of things you look at in terms of whether or not you're going to get cold and snowy weather. Uh, The AO was positive and the NAO was very positive. But of course, the EPO 
and the you know the Pacific pretty much kind of dictated how the polar vortex pretty much affected our area. So, um, so there's just a lot going on with that for sure. And, and I know we're on a you know an audio podcast today. We do some video ones also on uh, YouTube. You can always check those out uh, in the Weather Lounge. But uh, you know, if, if you're trying to visualize, like, what am I? If you're listening to this, you know, what am I visualizing? You can actually just see all this stuff. You, you just go to a, a, a model's uh, web. I mean, Tropical Tidbits is a big one. Um, you know, go there and you pull up what's called the 500 millibar map, um, and you could see, you could see the oscill- not really the oscillations themselves, but you can see the trough and ridge pattern. You can make out, you know, what's going on. So, like last year, like Kyle was just talking about, if you pulled up a 500 millibar map, let's say in January, you'd see a huge trough out west and kind of a ridgy pattern out east, and you see the dips and the ridges, uh, and it's very easy to pick out, and you can see all these things that we're talking about and how they're actually reflected in the day-to-day pattern that we even look at, you know, when we're forecasting, especially for you know, looking ahead in a couple of days and things like that. Right, right, of course. And and, and to that end, Brad, I want to make a shout out here to uh, kind of a plug for us. But if you go to weatherworksync.com, in the top right corner, we have a news section, which is where all of our blogs live. We have a ton of blogs that our meteorologists have written. And we have a couple uh, just on this topic, exactly, teleconnections. And if you want to get more of a written version of what we're talking about, and you can a good visual there. there. There's a lot of visuals and maps on there, too. Oh, of course, 100%. Tons of visuals there as well, in case this, you know, because I know to the normal person, this might be a little bit overwhelming, but if you just kind of take and break it down, it does end up becoming a little more easier. And I know people are more, some people are more listeners, some people are more visual learners. So it depends, but uh, you can check us out at weatherworksync.com. Yeah. And also, I mean, even, um, even like some pretty good hobbyists and, you know, some meteorologists just like, they don't really teach you this stuff that much in school. Like you kind of have to learn it yourself. Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, you're right. I mean, they don't really get that into it. You, yeah, I mean, as meteorologists, even today, you learn something every day or you're going through, you know, forecasts and, you know, it's, of course, the weather doesn't always work out how you think it's going to, and you learn from it. And that's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, that's why we're meteorologists and constantly learning about the forecasts and the weather itself. But it's, you know, the basics are always there. We know the basics and we know everything like that, but it's just, uh, you know, mother nature sometimes has the final word and that's for sure. Uh, um, before we jump into the MJO, I wanted to bring up something that we didn't have on our list here, but um, along with the Arctic Oscillation, I've heard of the Antarctic Oscillation. Hmm. We're talking far away now, but Kyle, does that have any, like I've seen people talk about that, does that have any sort of impact into the pattern up here, or is it more so more of a Southern Hemisphere thing? I, I think it's more of a Southern Hemisphere thing. Like, honestly, I, I, I don't think I have, like, ever used that, like, up here to, like, be like, oh... The Antarctic, the Antarctic oscillation uh, showing this, so we should probably expect this. Like it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it's really just more for for purposes down there. Generally, Interesting. Yeah. Okay, I've seen that floating around, and I'm like, I've never heard of that before. And why would we look at that? Because that's the Southern Hemisphere. We're in the Northern Hemisphere, you know. I guess yeah, it's like the AO, but just the opposite in the Southern. Hemisphere. Well, yeah, the Arctic. We're closer to the Arctic than we are in the the Antarctic. Right. So, um, but I just found that interesting. But anyway, the MJO. The Madden-Julian Oscillation, which is something that a lot of people, uh, hobbyists and meteorologists, talk about, where it's going into the eight, into eight to eight to one. Is that correct? Like you know, it's going into a more favorable pattern. Eight different octants. Yeah, exactly. So, can you discuss with our listeners pretty much what is the MJO and how is it different than like the NAO, the PNA, the AO, and and 
what what does it mean in certain sectors, certain numbers uh, of the MJL? Yeah, so the MJL, I would say, like the biggest biggest difference is that it's strictly like a tropical thing. It's more equatorial, and all that it pretty much tries to explain is almost always, I guess, or the majority of the time, there's um, areas of rising and sinking air in the tropics, which are usually correlated with the El Nino and La Nina, which is really why we even care about it at all. Um, And depending on how far west or east uh, the rising air from uh, tropical thunderstorm activity is, that'll help uh, dictate certain patterns here. So like, for example, uh, when, when people are talking about uh, like phases seven, eight, and one, as you were saying, that would uh, correspond to like rising air near the dateline. So that'd be like 180 degrees longitude. Most of the time, I mean, there are some other factors that can change this, but that usually leads to low pressure near the Aleutian Islands, uh, which are just southwest of Alaska. And as we were talking about, that most of the time leads to a positive PNA and negative EPO. So that usually leads to a colder pattern and vice versa. So it's just something that it, it's like, it gets very more like chicken or the egg sort of, but this would be more um, generally sparks a lot of our patterns here, I would say. And that, that's what's amazing, Kyle, about all that is like something that's happening, you know, almost on the opposite side of the world in the Northern Hemisphere has impacts on our weather, you know, Maybe not so much in the next couple of days, but it's a pattern that we can look at. And like you were saying, you'll see forecasts out there for the MGL and it'll say, yeah, it's going to probably head into phase one or eight later in the month. So that kind of gives the long range forecast. Okay, maybe we're going to end up with a negative NAO because of this. And maybe we do have a cooler trend of weather headed our way or just the opposite, you know, and. Again, it's it's something that we could look at going forward, and it's amazing. You can even it'll show you like where the phases have been over the last week or two, and where it's kind of headed. So, you know, and if it sits in a certain phase for maybe two weeks, then maybe we have a two week prolonged area of cold weather here in the Northeast. The uh, so the phases of the MJO that are more that are more favorable for let's talk about here in the Northeast. Uh, that's seven, eight, and one. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. I would say so. Okay, and what would be unfavorable everything else or 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 is there more so as i've noticed we're like someone saying we're now going into an eight versus like where we've been in an eight for a while like is there is there a correlation between changing phases being in a phase for a while or like like is do you want to kind of go into a like from like oh we want to go from seven to eight or eight to one is better or maybe we go from like seven to one like over a span of two weeks like are there just all these nuances here but like what is like what is the perfect kind of setup for, for cold or I guess, uh, you know, snow here in the Northeast based on the MJO? Um, so with this kind of stuff, I mean, just given that so far away, there's there's a lag right. generally of like a couple weeks or so. So if so, let's say with the favorable phases, seven, eight and one, if you're just flying through them, you're probably not going to be seeing too much of an impact because like it, you, you kind of do need. And again, if, if you think of this sort of like, um, thinking about tropical thunderstorm activity, if you have that activity and like the persistent um, rising air over the same area for a while, it's just going to lead to like a bigger feedback. So preferably you would want to sit in the favorable phases for, yeah, like probably like a couple of weeks and then, or or maybe even longer than that. Um, 
And this is again where like the El, like uh, La Nina and El Nino ties in. So what you were asking about like the unfavorable phases, a lot of the time, like that's why La Ninas are not so good. So it, it kind of gets overlooked, but um, those phases would generally be four, five, and six. So that corresponds to instead of the rising air being over the dateline, it's more over like Indonesia and like the maritime continent. And so instead of instead of getting instead of getting an Aleutian low, um, which leads to a ridge over the west coast and Alaska, you actually end up getting an Aleutian high, and that usually leads to um, like troughs forming over the west coast or just a negative PNA, which is what we saw last winter. Okay, interesting. No, I just I thought that was interesting because, like I said, I you know. I've, I've seen so many times someone saying the MJO is favorable, but it's like, yeah, but if it's in the phase for like a few days versus like two weeks, like doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I also, mean, also, I was gonna say, Kyle, talk, talk to us about, and I'm not even all that clear on this kind of stuff. Um, how, when you're, when you're looking at the MJO and you have the center part, when it gets further away from the center, that means it's more extreme. Uh, Versus like when you're tighter to the center, I guess, where it can kind of travel through a bunch of different phases in a short amount of time, as opposed to when you're further away from the center. Where does that, where does that come into play? Like what causes that? Radially, like the distance away from the center just kind of corresponds to like how strong the convection is. So if you have really weak convection, it doesn't really matter what phase you're in. Like it's, it's not going to be that much of a factor. Right. But you're so close to the center of that of the MGO phase diagram kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So you could think of it as like um, the convection in the tropics and, and the feedback that it's causing is very weak. So other factors were like, will likely overwhelm it. So you can have like an extra tropical factor, which could be like um, there are other more obscure teleconnections like mound torques, which are beyond even they're, they're they're still doing research uh, research on all that stuff but so you can have other extra tropical stuff overwhelm it but if you have like a really strong mjo pulse which is again determined by like the tropical convection that could definitely lead to pretty like profound impacts so that's one of the reasons why uh december 2015 was so warm that was an insanely warm month and that was because there was a really strong mjo pulse in those unfavorable phases and it led to like a massive ridge over the Southeast. So you can have stuff overwhelm it. Um, there was also March, um, well, fe- February, 2018 before March, 2018, which was insane. Um, th- February was super, super warm, but there was a, ma- again, because of a massive MJO pulse in like phases five and six, but that MJO pulse helped kick off, um, pretty much the like demise of the polar vortex and like a really wintry month. So it does have like very big impacts, but again, only if you have like a somewhat considerably strong uh, pulse. See, now this is why everybody, everyone that is listening to our podcast right now, this is why long range forecasting is difficult. Because there's just so many things involved and everyone thinks, oh my God, you know, like how come it was so warm one month and now it's cold, you know, like, or, or, you know, you guys said like a few months ago it was going to be this. Now it says, well, a lot of things change and these teleconnections change too. 
you know, they don't just stay stagnant. That's why our winter forecasts too take a lot of effort. And it's not just when we get our final outlook, there's going to be more tweaks as we go forward. You know, we have updates in January as well because we, you know, things aren't, they don't always go as they are. You know, it's almost like the butterfly effect too. Like you have one little thing that, that changes somewhere and all of a sudden it just kind of collapses down the, like, 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 like a, almost like dominoes. You know, like all of a sudden you hit one domino and then it just keeps going and going and that changes, you know, you had a simple state and now it's changed. And and even when we do short term forecasting and you see this on social media so much, whether it's a tropical system or it's a snowstorm, you know, people live and die by every single run. And if you did that, you would never you'll never be a good meteorologist or forecaster because, you know, you may look at one model at 12 Z, which is in the morning of a certain day. And then the next day, the same model shows the same snowstorm potential, you know, 300 miles further east. And and again, you can't jump on every model run like that, but yet you see it on social media and people just live and die by this stuff. And that's what, you know, that's where the good meteorologist comes in and you kind of can, you know, pull out the right things that you're looking at versus the bad things. Right. These are tools. You know, these aren't just things that we like say, oh, well, the NAO is going to be negative. That means that we're going to get a major nor'easter, two to three feet of snow in New York City. No, that, that's not how this all works. It's basically we use these tools to give us an idea if the pattern is favorable for potentially a storm to develop. And then at that point, it's like, okay, well, if models are picking up on energy coming off the Pacific and it comes onto the mainland, you know, things are going to change. And it's like, well, where's that storm going to go? Well, let's take a look at the teleconnections. Well, this tells us that the, the pattern is favorable for blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, it's just a matter of, well, if the storm wants to cooperate and it ends up being a big storm, that's up to the storm. You know, we don't dictate based on the, the teleconnection. The teleconnection just says, all right, you're clear to go. You know, you're, 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 you're good to take off like a, like, like a kind of like a runway operator. Right, and that's why people use our service, and and you know we we give them good forecasts, and we weed through all the the junk that's out there, and you know how many times we get clients that call in and say you know well I'm reading about this, and you know what, and you know that's where we're there for, uh, you know to 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 give you that good forecast and and tell you that you know maybe uh, because you see a model run out there, you know <laughs> you can't go by this. Oh. Of course, and that's why our winter risk product is the best. I don't want to. I'm going to plug it very quickly, but of course, winter risk <laughs> is kind of where all of our long range stuff goes through, and we take all the hype out. We pretty much look at the facts, and of course, the teleconnections and and the overall pattern goes into that. Of course, um, but let's uh, let's now gear, go toward. We talked about. I think we've talked about everything, right? I don't know if there's anything we haven't talked about with teleconnections. We went through the NAO, the AO, the PNA, the EPO, MJO. I think now. I think now it's time to look at kind of certain scenarios. So like if the EPO is negative, if the PNA is positive, if the NAO is negative, like which, what's the best, it's like, what's the best winter for the Northeast? What's the best winter for the Midwest, Northern Plains? What's the best winter for like the Rockies? Like, let's just go through and see like what teleconnections are best for each. What gives us that best shot for the Nor'easter, Kyle? So generally I would say like for, for the Northeast, well, the farther north you are, like once you get into the northeast, the NAO kind of matters less. So like New England, you really just need like a pretty favorable Pacific pattern. Like like if you um, – and I made something about this like a while ago. But if you take the pattern from like every major Boston snowstorm, there actually isn't a negative NAO with it. Because you don't need anything to be blocked south. They, they, they usually have enough cold air already. Yeah, I was going to say, climatologically, it's going to snow in New England regardless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you can look at uh, you can look at storms. Like, um, 
January 2022, the NAO was positive there and they got smoked. There was a Juno in 2015. There was a super positive NAO and Worcester got 30 inches of snow. So like you don't need a negative NAO. So I, I would say for New England, like I would say on like Hartford northward, you generally just need like a big ridge in the West. So that would be like a negative EPO and a positive PNA generally. Like, and I, I would say you probably want the AO to be negative too, but the NAO just isn't that big of a factor up there. Once you get to like New York City southward and like especially DC southward, you pretty much, if, if you want like a snowstorm over 12 and especially like, you know, the real big dogs over 18, you like need a negative NAO. Like it, it, it needs to be there. Um, because that leads to um, it, it pretty much gives things more time to develop. Um, like you could think of blocking as like a bit of a traffic jam over the Atlantic. Like it's pretty much because you have all these low pressure systems that are just sitting there and they don't have room. So things have more time to coalesce. So there have been times where you'll be looking at a storm trying to develop and, and it just barely misses. Like something's just out of whack. Um, but in these patterns, you actually do have time. And the NAO also, as, as as Brad was saying, it just kind of forces the jet stream south. So it is generally colder. You do have uh, you have high pressure systems that are more easily blocked in there. It's just a more favorable pattern and you pretty much need it. However, if you if you want to get nickel and dimed in the in the eastern US, you don't need the NAO, but you need the Pacific to be cooperative. Um, I would say in terms of the PNA. Uh, what's actually interesting is that if you want those smaller storms, and by smaller, I mean like, I don't know, generally under six to eight inches, uh, the Atlantic can kind of do whatever it wants, but but you need the cold air from the Pacific. So that would be, again, a positive PNA, negative EPL. If you, yeah, yeah. So if you want the larger storms, though, uh, what's interesting is that um, like for 12 plus, you need the blocking. Bomb out, as they say. Right, you need the storm to slow down and kind of, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But what's interesting with the PNA, though, it seems kind of counterintuitive. But initially, I would say a week before the storm forms, you actually want a negative PNA. Um, but as we were saying, again, with the EPL and the PNA not exactly cooperating all the time, you want, um, and this makes so much more sense visually, but... You want a negative EPO, so you want the cross-polar flow, so like high pressure over Alaska, but you want like deep low pressure to undercut it. So that would be the negative PNA. So what happens is that you have the blocking, you have the cross-polar flow, and then you get a big wave traveling under it. And that's what amplifies and turns into that big storm. And the PNA actually becomes positive as the storm is forming, um, but the PNA is a bit more changeable there. So that's not as much of a factor. If anything, you want it slightly negative beforehand. And that's and that's basically just to get like the initial pulse in that can amplify under the blocking. Um, so I would say those are probably like the two biggest factors. So I would say New England, in order for a big storm, you really just need like a really good Pacific pattern. Uh, but once you get farther south, you need the blocking. You need basically. a little more cooperation down there. Yeah. Yeah. Was the uh, was the 20, uh, 2009, 2010, the Snowmageddon in uh, D.C., was that more of a very, very negative NEO? Yes. To kind of suppress the jet stream? Yeah, that's what I thought. Cause like, I mean, there was that storm. There was like almost nothing in like Connecticut like or northern Jersey, and it was like the gradients in that storm were crazy. So like while New England's like, oh, we don't care about the NEO, well, if it's too negative, then all of a sudden they end up not having a whole lot. 
Yeah, it's actually a bit of a problem for New England. Like, um, so New England, uh, compared to climatology, so compared to average, like El Ninos are definitely a lot better compared to average for the for the Mid-Atlantic. Because what can happen is that you can have scenarios like that where the blocking is too strong. Um, there was uh, the blizzard in 2021. Um, that was a La Nina, but there was a ton of blocking that year. So I, I guess they're kind of similar. Like Boston got not a lot of snow from that. Like that was the one that kind of hammered New York City and where you guys are. That one, the blocking was so strong that it got it got shunted south of Boston. So you actually don't want massive blocking because a lot of the time you can be dealing with suppression. So you kind of want it to be more neutral. And if it's positive, it really doesn't really doesn't matter that much because they get the they get the Miller B storms, which form uh, which have a habit of forming too late for New York City, but just in time for Boston. Right. Those are the ones that glide across the Ohio Valley, then kind of bomb uh, as they hit the Atlantic. But like you said, they're a little too late for, uh, you know, New York South. But then it starts to really, you know, get its act together as it climbs, uh, you know, up the coast. Yes. Sometimes too much of a good thing is not good. You know, too much of an NEO. It's like, oh, wow, this is great. It's so negative. It's like, well, it's starting to get into deep negative territory, which means you're not going to get anything at all. Yeah, look at look at last December. Look at last December in the Northeast. We had, uh, everyone was looking forward to, oh my God, look at the NAO around Christmas time and, and the week after. And But the Pacific, like Kyle's been saying, it just wasn't cooperating. It was too strong out West. Or yeah, it just, it, it crushed our hopes of, uh, you know, any kind of... Our hopes and know. dreams. That's pretty <laughs> yeah, much. For snow lovers. Yeah, I mean, there was basically with that one, the PNA was just so negative that the polar vortex dove into the Western United States. And when that happens, you're just, it's not happening. This is not happening. And if you did manage to kind of get the polar vortex, just like, oh, like in a normal spot, a normal spot, you get the wave to kind of just continue propagating east and then just like bombs away basically. But this one just fell into the West and the, there, there's your useless and negative NAO. Yep. No, it happens. Who cares about the, uh, the, the damn NAO, you know? Well, anyway. Um, all right. So we talked to the Northeast and the mid Atlantic and we kind of went through that. Now let's shift West here. And we kind of mentioned that with like what happened in December, 2021 or 2022. Um, but let's take a look at like the Midwest and the Northern Plains. Like does the NAO have a big factor when you get into like North Dakota or like Kansas or like, like what in that area is best for, I guess, a good solid winter for them. The NAO, once you're over there, it's, it's not, it's not as much of a factor. It's not, I mean, you would prefer negative NAO. I get like, if you're farther South, you would, once you're into the Northern Plains, it's pretty much like New England where it's just like, you just need the cold air, which is more determined by the Pacific. Uh, if anything, you would want like um, a really solidly negative EPO, so like, and a negative AO. A negative AO is good for everybody, basically, because it just allows cold air. It allows cold air to get farther south. So you would want, I guess, in an ideal world, perhaps like a neutral NAO. So like, really not too much happening near Greenland, but then you have like a big high pressure center over like Alaska northward to get the cold air in. But then like a negative PNA undercutting it so that you're able to shift the storm track south. So what happens is that um, that sounds kind of similar to what I said for the mid-Atlantic. But the major difference there is that the NAO is near is kind of like neutral-ish or or the or the or the PNA is so negative that it can overwhelm the NAO. Because what happens is that when the NAO is negative, a storm that tries to cut northward cannot most of the time. Most of the time. I mean, there are exceptions like we saw last winter, but most of the time 
a storm that's really good for the plains gets actually gets shoved south and amplifies later. But I would say for the plains in the Midwest, you generally want a negative PNA, but you still need to get the cold air in. So you would want a negative AO and a negative EPO alongside it. Okay, interesting. What about the um? Just uh, one more other thing here is the uh, the Pacific Northwest or like kind of like the like the Western Coast because there's been some winters where like Seattle just gets hammered. Now, was that is that similar? I guess the, the obviously the Pacific North North Atlantic pretty much dictates their winters, right? Pretty much. Honestly, I don't even think it really matters at all for them. Uh, the the AO probably does because that's where you get again the the colder outbreaks easier to do. But I would say for them. You kind of want like a Rex block ish setup, and what I mean by that, uh, there's also something called the WPO, which is like literally just the EPO, which is farther west. It's just the Western Pacific Oscillation. Western Pacific Oscillation. Yeah. yeah, so that's just more like high pressure near like you know Eastern Russia, but it's very similar. Wow, there's just there's just too many oscillations. I mean, the WPO. Yeah. <laughs> next thing you know, we're going to be yeah. talking about like like you know like the NFL, the NBA, all these sports teams. It's like you know, I just man, so many things. You know, it'd be nice if we can all get um, you know everybody on the same page and like <laughs> the Northeast, like New England gets their snow and like Chicago gets their snow, Seattle gets their snow. But unfortunately, that's just not how it works. Someone is going to get the short end of the stick. There, there's a sacrificial lamb somewhere in there. There is a sacrificial lamb to put it, put it bluntly there, Brad. Yeah. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere, someone is going to get no snow. And of course, if you're in like the Southeast U S actually let, before we do that, uh, like what about the Southeast? Like we're talking, sometimes you get like Alabama, Mississippi, some places that are crazy that get snow and like they rarely get snow at all. But when they do the A of the NAO, I assume is what really dictates that. Correct. That, that and the El Nino, I'm sure, too, uh, that becomes a big factor for the winter down in the southeast. Yep. Yeah, generally, you would want, like, a moderate El Nino or stronger El Nino because you get the subtropical jet. Um, but, yeah, you you need a very specific set of facts. So it's basically like what I was talking about for the mid-Atlantic, but, like, everything just turned up so that you get the blocking that's so strong that it forces everything south, basically. And right. a lot of the largest storms in the southeast didn't do anything up here. Right. Well, because they're just shunted so far south. Basically. <laughs> well, I'm sure our friends here in in the southeast U.S. and the deep south really don't want snow. So let's just keep it that way, because I know our our friends here in the northeast, especially New England, really don't want the NAO being that negative, because then they're just kind of dry and cold, and we don't want that. Um, we want the snow. So so let's just keep it that way, and uh, we'll, we'll you know they'll they'll take they'll take the the sacrifice uh, of no snow down and down in the southeast. So. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up, guys. Uh, good talk here. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us again. As always, uh, great stuff, good insight. And of course, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have you on again in the future, specifically also to talk about pretty much the, the official winter forecast, which yeah, we that'll will be, out be the next month, right? Yes. Yeah, so we are our winter preview number two, which is to our clients will be coming out, I believe, early next week. But that's really not a whole lot of we're just kind of more tweaking. But the official forecast with our snow maps and everything will be released, I believe, at the end of October. So make sure you stick around for that. And we'll also have a webinar out as well. Um, uh, you know, more visual representation. If you don't want to listen to our podcast, you want to look at the webinar. We'll have some links out there. Uh, next month as well, so be sure to stick around and, uh, and check out our blogs. Don't forget on the uh, all this all this fun stuff. Our yeah. blogs, weatherworksync.com. Of course, you know you can check out. We have a ton of information, a plethora, if you will, uh, of information. Yes, a uh, plethora. Um, digging into my uh, thesaurus here. Um, but uh, but again, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Of course, you can check us out not just weatherworksync.com to see what we do professionally. 
uh, for our clients. But of course, on social media, we are on a range of, 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 uh, of social media platforms, X, uh, Facebook, Instagram, you know, LinkedIn professionally, of course. Uh, and on YouTube, we have a couple of videos out there. Uh, and of course, some of our podcast episodes are also uh, video forms. So make sure you check us out there. And again, you know, you can check us out here, Weather, Weather Lounge, uh, any podcasting platform you have. Make sure you give us a like and rate us and uh, definitely pulls our, uh, our, our, our show forward in the rankings here. We really appreciate uh, any, any, any advice or any topics you have. Just make sure you uh, email us at weatherlounge at weatherworksinc.com. And uh, we might uh, maybe talk about it down the road. We're always open to suggestions. So with that, uh, we'll, uh, we'll end it here and uh, we'll see you all in the next one. 